Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FloatCombat.com is brought to you by the fine people over at ADK Fightwear. Nestled in the Adirondack Mountains of New York, ADK Fightwear is a family-owned company that brings you the geese, rash guards, short spats, and everything else that you need, all for an affordable price. But... Don't let those affordable prices fool you. This stuff is super high quality. We've all had those rash guards before that fade or pill after a couple of washes and wearing it a few times, but you don't have to worry about that here. Wash after wash after wash, the graphics on an ADK Fightwear rash guard still pop, and the material holds up time after time. To see what I mean, go to ADKFightwear.com right now. You can use our exclusive promo code TURTLE, that's T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, for 20% off your whole order. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today we have the pleasure of speaking to Brad Katona, who fights Matthew Lopez at UFC 231 on December 8th. Brad, we, we know before you became, or before you switched to full-time in MMA, uh, you had a job as a mechanical engineer. What what made you make that final switch? Uh, you, you know, it was kind of, you know, for people who believe it's meant to be, um, it, it was just the opportunity. I, I had a work contract and it was ending. And, uh, you know, we just couldn't make it work. So I, I was preparing for my sixth professional fight. And at that point, um, my contract just ended. So I got to train as a pro um, full time. And, and it was my best camp uh, to that point. And um, went out there, had what I, what I felt was a great performance. And then uh, during that time, while I was working, I had saved up some money my girlfriend and I uh moved on over to Ireland immediately after that and then uh the whole ultimate fighter journey started very quickly it was everything just started piecing together from almost you know ending my ending my career as an engineer or at least putting it on hold to becoming a full-time fighter everything just kind of skyrocketed at that point so so you almost got a uh trial run at it that's something that not a lot of people get Pardon? I said uh, you sort of got a trial run at being a, an MMA fighter, you know, full time. That that's Absolutely, not something somebody yes. gets, yeah. Yes, it was just the opportunity presented itself. Uh, basically, it was it was like okay, you know, um, I, I I was going to be starting to look for another engineering job, and and in that time, I was training for for a fight, so. Everything just kind of pieced together. I, I, I thankfully won that fight. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was just, uh, you know, making the next step, which was moving out here in Ireland. And, and then really after a month of being here, the tryouts for the Ultimate Fighter came up. Came up. So, you know, otherwise I'd be, I'd probably be trying to find a work as an engineer out here mm-hmm. while working, uh, while, while try, training as much as I can. And, mm-hmm. you know, everything was just, I'm not a very impulsive person, but it was a couple of uh, very impulsive moves, <laughs> which which seem out of character, and 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 everything's just you know shaped up better than I could have expected. 
Yeah, and, and with it being so out of character, was it? Did your family look at you weird? Were you, were your friends surprised that like that's how you were handling it? What about your like former coworkers and stuff? Uh, well, my former coworkers are all excited. I I still keep on in touch with some of them on on WhatsApp and, and on social media. You know, um, I have a lot of support behind me. You know, my family kind of wanted me to do it you know um it is a risky move but really at the end of the day it was all, all, all i was sac- worst case if if we absolutely crashed and burned you know it, it wouldn't have taken me that long to rebuild to, mm-hmm. to where i was starting so um ev- everybody was behind me and uh you know i made the choice very easy when when your parents are telling you you know it's it's the best call you only young ones and and, and go for it um it's hard not to listen to them, so so I did, and and look at all that's happened in that time. Yeah, and and so uh, yeah, that that's always a a good sign when your parents are telling you to go for it too. Um, so obviously being an MMA fighter and being a mechanical engineer, a little bit different here. Uh, you're you're obviously a very smart. <laughs> you're very obviously a very smart guy in order to be a mechanical engineer in the first place. Is there you know like a side of being a mechanical engineer that you miss? Is there like a mental aspect of of you know, doing that kind of stuff on a daily basis that you wish you could go back to? You know, um, I, I was very early on into my career as a mechanical engineer, so uh, I would say one one thing is I really miss being a student. You know, it was just one of those where every day, I, I'm learning every day as an athlete, and, and that's very exciting. But being with a student, the amount of information that's, you know, shoved in one ear and, and out the other, you know, and you're trying to absorb as much as possible, you know, it it it, it was a very fun time in my life, um, especially with the friends I, I made during it. So, you know, as part of that, you know, there's a little bit of me missing, but honestly, I, I have my dream job right now, and I'm, and I'm very fortunate to have it. So um, there's aspects of it that I definitely miss, but man i'm i'm fulfilled every day going to the gym and, and and really working on my craft it's it's uh amazing opportunity and and really there's no looking back there's there's looking in the future you know there's there's opportunities down the line of after my mma career you know going back into engineering mm. um but for the time being i'm 100 percent focused on 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 my career as a as an athlete yeah, and so let's, I know you said no looking back, but I want to look back just at your last MMA fight because uh, it, it was a big one. You, you became, you know, an ultimate fighter, which only, you know, a, a very few amount of people are able to say. What, what was the feeling like when you won the ultimate fighter? Like you said, all of this kind of happened so fast. You were only in Ireland yeah. for a week. You know, like, what was sort of that, uh, that like, capital moment feel like? You know what? It, 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 it was obviously amazing and, and all that but it felt it felt right felt kind of normal you know I, I spent that the entire training camp up to that point uh, expecting that result working for that result so when it when it happened it was kind of like you know what? damn right I'm here you know uh, I, I put my mind to something I, I worked you know I worked really hard that camp it, it was a world-class camp here at SBG you know my co- my conditioning was the best at ever ever was for for the first time in my life not only was i pursuing this you know full time um but at, at an actually top tier gym the best gym in the world in my opinion you know the coaching was the best it ever was the conditioning the training partner 
Brad still made a winner. Hello? Yep, sorry. Hey, I just lost you there for a second. So uh, the last thing I heard was you say um, something right before world title winner. I assume you were about to mention uh, Connor. Well, uh, uh, ultimate fighter. Oh, like a, a world-class gym. You yep. know, a top-tier gym. It was the best coaching, uh, best team I've ever worked with from conditioning coaches uh, with the McGregor Fast Program to training partners in the gym. So, you know, when it all kind of happened, it was like, you know, damn right. I, I worked for it and and I got it. Yeah, absolutely. And and you you know you mentioned top tier coaching there. You you do have one of the you know most famous top coaches at the time right now in John Kavanaugh. What has it been like working under him? I mean, you've only done so for a couple of fights here, but what has it been like working with him to game plan to do the cerebral side of the game to to get ready? You, you know what it's it, it's it's getting a glimpse at. You know, he's able to offer insight in 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 everything. He's been there, you know, with the highest level camps. You know, the the McGregor Mayweather fight. You know, the, there was no expense spared. Mm-hmm. You know, in that camp. So you know, they were able to put together. You know, I'm working with someone who has that knowledge, who was able to be there at that entire camp and, mm-hmm. and be working there the entire camp and and have that insight on you know, the most efficient training protocols and, and the like. And, and, you know, that's not even to speak on a technical aspect. I think he's an absolutely brilliant coach, um, both um, on the grappling side and the, and understanding MMA as a whole. Um, so it's just elevated my game. And, and I felt it in the house, you know, when I, when I was gone, um, for, for the six weeks for the Ultimate Fighter, I came back and... My training partners had gotten significantly better, mm-hmm. and that I felt like I had fallen behind for six weeks being gone. You know, so it, it's one of those where you know he's able to elevate not only myself but the entire team, and uh, you know that just that just shows how good of a coach he is. Absolutely, and you know before we we let you go here, I always like to ask people who have you know these sort of famous coaches that everybody knows or seemingly a lot about. Uh, is there anything we don't know about John Kavanaugh? Is there something uh, he does particularly well, or is maybe there there a little story about him uh, that that might give a glimpse a little bit more into what he's really like? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you know what uh, what what showed me of what type of person he is as. Uh, uh, my girlfriend Katie Saul, she's a professional fighter as well. Um, we had just come here and, and she was competing, I believe, in in the beginning of January, the first, maybe a little bit before. Uh, it was for one of her fights, and uh, you know what? It didn't seem like he'd be able to to make it. Obviously, being flying over to North America to compete, and you know, he he came up to me on the gym one day and he said, "I'm going to surprise her uh, for a fight," and it was a big, important fight in her career. It was kind of you know, kicking her off in the in the right direction from there, and uh, you know he he flew over uh, for a fight in, in a in a smaller show, and uh, you know it just meant the world to her and and to me. So you know he didn't need to take that time. He took a he took a week away from his athletes to to, to corner us who were new brand new to the gym. It's not like we were established here for a year for years. You know, that would be understandable. But we had kind of just gotten here, just planted our roots, and, and he was able to fly o- willing to fly over and, and corner. And once again, it was the best performance of our career up to that point. And, you know, it's elevated both our games from there. 
Oh, that's certainly a nice story to see, uh, and, and really a good glimpse into Kavanaugh. Uh, Brad, unfortunately, we're out of time here. Uh, once again, we want to remind our listeners, Brad Katona fights Matthew Lopez at UFC 231 on December 8th. Brad, will be watching, and best of luck to you. Uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. After a fine interview like that, I'm sure you can't wait to get the rest of this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. But we got to pause for a second to talk about some serious stuff. I want to talk to all the guys out there who do jujitsu. You gotta stop rearranging your junk on the mats. It's gross, it's unsanitary, and people are gonna start avoiding you when you head to open mats. Look, I used to be one of those guys too, but luckily I found sheath underwear. Guys, sheath underwear changes the game when it comes for comfort to your downstairs mix-up. Their innovative pocket underwear not only provides support for your marbles, but it promotes airflow so that they're comfy for each and every single one of your rolls. And I know that this doesn't seem possible, but they've made a believer out of me, and I think they'll make one out of you if you head to sheathunderwear.com right now. And if you do so, head to sheathunderwear.com right now. You can use promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, for 20% off your whole order, and you can thank me for it afterwards. Now, back to the show, because I am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, here with Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we got a little bit of an insight into Kavanaugh's coaching method there uh, with Katona. What did you think about that? Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting detail into the coaching life of John Kavanaugh, who, if you listen to this show regularly, you'll know we're both big fans of. I can't recommend his book enough, Win or Learn. I love John Kavanaugh. I like everything Katona said about him, and I'm very excited to see where Katona's career goes in the hands of John Kavanaugh. Yeah, and I think Katona is kind of like a really interesting prospect. I know we talked about him last week as like one of the biggest Canadian prospects out there, and I stand by that. I think he's like so well-rounded. He reminds me of like what Rory McDonald was back in like when Rory lost to Carlos Conda age. Um, so I, I think that he's got like a lot of promise and a lot of room to grow, and it'll be interesting to see what Kavanaugh can do with him. Did they make this point in the Ultimate Fighter uh, that Katona kind of has like a Rory McDonald Canadian psycho vibe to him? Yeah, he's he's got he's very um yeah I don't know what the exact word for it, but he is exactly like Rory McDonald. Yeah, I, I don't know if they made that point repeatedly, but the internet made that point. Okay, I knew someone made that point, but I, I really I'm digging that vibe. Katona reminds me of that Canadian psycho Rory in, McDonald in fight style too. Yes. Yeah, like he's good, kind of, he's like very solid almost everywhere, everywhere right? Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Um, all right, so that was our interview with Brad Katona. We have a loaded show today. We have a combat countdown on the top five potentially mutually beneficial trades that organizations could do. Obviously, that's coming off of the big news, and we'll start there as we go around the league a little bit, or as we go around the world of MMA, I should say. Uh Ben Askren is finally in the UFC. Uh, he was traded to the UFC like it's the frickin' baseball hot stove uh, for Demetrius Johnson, who was sent to 1FC. What did you think when you heard the news? So at first I was pissed because I felt like they were like doing something dirty to Mighty Mouse. But as like the details further came out and I realized that this is something Mighty Mouse wanted, especially because I completely forgot that Matt Hume works for fucking 1FC. Um, he's like a matchmaker or a promoter in some way, shape, or form of 1FC. So once I like remembered that Matt Hume was there and Mighty Mouse is going to be treated real well. And like, like what else does Mighty Mouse have in the UFC, right? Like a third match with Henry Cejudo and like win or lose, where are we back to? You know, like he wins that fight, 
Oh, okay, now we're going to have a second fight with Ray Borg, a third fight with, or fourth fight with Joseph Benavidez, you know, like, uh, another fight with, you know, every other flyweight, and then probably a super fight at some point in time. So, like, he's just coming back for, like, a Cejudo rematch and a super fight. He's almost out of shit to do in the UFC. He's been out of shit to do for three years in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Let's stick with the Mighty Mouse, and then we'll take it to the Askren side of the, the coin. So with Mighty Mouse, I saw a lot of people online saying this was a complete uh, disaster on the UFC's part. They're giving in to the 125-pound division. Look, I agree with certain people that if the right fighter came along at 125 pounds, a Conor McGregor of the flyweight division, yeah, I mean, you know, it could maybe take off in a way. I don't think it could ever be like a huge pay-per-view seller because... I just don't think the average fan wants to watch small dudes fight each other. I, I, I agree with that, but I, I will say this, too, is that, like, I think what's good for a division in the long run is at least a little bit of parody in fresh matchups. So I actually think 125, and, and this is, you know, a terrible take to have, gains from losing Demetrius Johnson. While you definitely lose the best fighter in the division, you're going to have fresh matchups for titles and fresh matchups for contenders for a while now instead of just seeing like, oh, who's fucking Demetrius Johnson going to pound his face in next? There, there is something to that, but let me I, I can actually tell you something right now and you can take it to the bank and I'll guarantee it. The 125-pound division, even with that maybe Conor McGregor cult of personality style, will never be successful in the UFC, and I'll tell you why. Because it's being compared to the other divisions, and we know this, math does not lie. Statistics do not lie. The finishing rate at 125 pounds is not as high as the other men's division. Mm -hmm. And that, that goes by the eye test, too. When I see a flyweight fight come on, I know more, or more than likely it's going to be a three-round fight. Mm. There's probably not going to be a knockout in the first round. Second of all, you have the big cage. I think everything in life is presentation. I think the 125-pound division could be successful if it was run as its own show on a Tuesday night in a smaller cage. Almost like if they I did like a WEC spinoff? 100%. Exactly. Listen, Vince McMahon is no dummy when it comes to promoting fights. Ha ha ha, right? It's <laughs> fake. Yes, of course. But they present it like it's real. He does not promote small fighters because they don't pass the eye test. Mm -hmm. They don't, they're not stars. No one goes into the airport, looks at Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson and thinks that's a star because he's too small. He's mm -hmm. tiny. Daniel yeah. Cormier tells a story about going out in Vegas after one of his title defenses and he couldn't get into the club because the bouncer didn't know who he is. And Cormier had to go up and say, don't you know who this is? No one fucking cares about small people. But if presented on their own, in their own show, this is what Mitch McMahon did. They have their 205 live show, and it's not the most successful thing in the world, but they do that very purposefully. You can't have flyweight on the same show as a heavyweight because all you're going to say is, why am I watching these midgets fight? Yeah, I'd rather watch two big dudes. And maybe that's why WEC was successful with all those lighter weight classes, too. You know, like, at the very most, the biggest guy you were seeing was Donald Cerrone. Um, right. next, next to people like Demetrius Johnson. And, and not that he's not significantly bigger, but he's not that much significantly bigger. So, yeah, maybe if you took, like, some of the lighter weight classes, maybe threw some, like, strawweight women's fights in there, too. 
you're right. That that might sell better. Um, it, it would almost be interesting to see if they did, you know, like pay per views or fight cards based on specific weight classes. It'd probably be a logistical nightmare, but it, it would probably be much more interesting. There's something to it because I just think coming off a hundred seventy pound war. You know, you watch uh, Usman and Woodley fight one day, right? Yep. And then the next fight is going to be 225-pound dudes? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. That, no. But you put it on its own show, you kind of get into the spirit of things. That's true. Faster fights. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I think what the UFC did here was smart. They This was not the UFC's fault. They did try to promote Johnson. They put him on Fox cards. He main-evented pay-per-views. It's they just not going to happen. Goat. Dana White went out of his way to say he's the best pound-for-pound fighter. It's not going to happen. See if someone else can promote him well. The UFC is a large enough organization, a rich enough organization, where if someone else successfully promotes 125, they can bring it back and make it a big thing. But spoiler alert, I don't think anyone will. Yeah. Now, for the Askren side of things, what do you think? He's finally here. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do, because, you know, I, I've, for a while, was a little bit of an Askren naysayer, especially when he was in Bellator, uh, you know, I saw him win fights, but maybe not look as impressive, you know, like, when he wins a fight via ground and pound, in, like, dominant wrestling, he was doing that against, you know, I, I mean, I probably can't even pull all of the names that he was doing that from Bellator against, but, but when he was doing those in Bellator, it wasn't Habib-esque, you know what I mean by that? It wasn't punishing ground and pound. It was like, I have control of you, you're going to the ground, and I'm going to hold you there. I mean, like, for fuck's sake, in one of his fights in Bellator, they stood him up from Mount because he was doing so little. You know, like, it. so I've always kind of been a little bit of a naysayer to him, but that being said, I'm really excited to see what he does now against top competition because the way he's promoting himself... This is either going to go wildly successful in, like, two seconds or completely crash and burn. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think uh, Dana White said he'll get a top five opponent, so you're looking at, you know, a Wonder Boy, a Till, a Robbie Lawler. I think Till said he's all about it. Uh, so that's a very interesting matchup for his first one out. You know, uh, Numbers MMA, uh, who's our Twitter friend, brought up the point that uh, Till did stuff all four of Woodley's takedown attempts in their fight. Uh, you know, if Till could stuff a couple of takedowns, he has the reach, he's long, he's rangy, he's an excellent striker, a way better striker than anyone Ben Askren faced in 1FC. Same thing goes if he faced Usman. Uh, same thing goes if he faced RDA or Lawler. The level of striking he's about to face and these are people who do have good takedown defense, more or less. Uh, I mean, he's really going to be tested, and we'll find out if he's the real deal. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I can't wait to see it, and I think you're right. I think Till is the matchup to make right now, because right now, RDA is fighting Usman at the tough finale, and the rumor is uh, Wonderboy versus Lawler as the first ESPN show in January. So, I mean, that, that pretty much says you're getting him fighting... Uh, Darren Till. I mean, either that or Kamara Us. Oh no, I just said Kamara Usman's book. Yeah, he's pretty much fighting Darren Till in that sense. <laughs> or yeah, or I mean Covington. But Covington is almost like a JV version, more or less, of what Askren does. Yeah, so, I'm, I, I think Usman's fighting. You know, he's, you've got to imagine he's fighting Woodley, right? Like, you mean Covington? Or Covington? Yeah, yeah. Covington's got to be fighting Woodley, right? Like that. That has to be happening. 
But, <laughs> you know, he said top five fighter. Covington's in the top five. That's I true. like the kill matchup. Yeah, me too. Right. Me too. Um, speaking of matchups, there's a rumor that GSP is going to be facing Khabib, uh, but not not confirmed as of yet. You're yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, you know, and we talked a little bit about this off air. I, I'm just not a fan of this. Call me super old school if you want, but but my problem with it is, you know, I grew up watching MMA and when there were, like, rigid, strict divisions and, like, talking about changing divisions was, like, this monumental event that you could, like, never go back. And I, like, liked the rigidity of being able to, like, mentally rank all the fighters in my head. And this just seems like you're, like completely ignoring that divisions exist and and to me you know i get it the the match up itself is intriguing but it's also not like habib is out of intriguing matchups at lightweight like i want to see him fight tony ferguson first i want to see him fight kevin lee and i understand the ufc is going to sell this way easier than either of those two matchups but for me from like a fight standpoint i'm a little disappointed I understand where you're coming from. I, too, like rigidity in uh, my weight classes and champions having to defend. Here's where I kind of fall on it. Uh, You know, just knowing what the business is, and like you said, this is the easier fight for them to sell. Uh, There are two matchups that pose a very big threat to Khabib. One is Tony Ferguson's unending, in-your-face pressure and sub-game off his back. I, I have to see that at some point. Yep. But you know what? At the same time, they tried to book it four times. It didn't work. I get hesitancy not to try to book it again. It feels like that matchup is cursed. Although it is ironic. They both made weight on the same show at UFC 229. <laughs> uh, they should have just had them fight in the parking lot later that night. Um, and then the other matchup is George. Because George, uh, you know, will not be taken down. Hendricks couldn't do it. Uh, Fitch couldn't do it. Koscheck, Hughes, you name it. And George is going to take Khabib down, I, I would assume. And I would assume. George has, and George has a never-ending jab, great cardio. He's not going to be bullied. He's probably as big or bigger than Habib as far as walk-around weight is concerned. So I need to see one of these two matchups. I think there's also something to the stoic, milk-drinking, mm-hmm. good-nature personality of George coming in after all the fracas and chaos of the way UFC 229 ended. I don't know. There's something very interesting personality-wise. The, the two of them obviously aren't going to really talk shit, but there's just something very interesting about that matchup, and it's just a special situation. Habib is, what, 25-0 and now or 24-0? and Other than Michael Johnson landing one punch and Gleason Tebow maybe taking a round off him, We've never really seen him in trouble, and even the Michael Johnson punch, let's be fucking honest, was a blink of an eye nothing. I mean, he kept mm, moving, yeah. but people make a huge deal about it. I just, I need to see someone test him. So whether it's GSP, whether it's Tony, let's go. Just give me one of the two. I agree with that. Yeah, that, that's fair. All right, let's uh, get to what brought us to the dance. We have a combat countdown this week. We always throw out our combat countdown to our fans. We're at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Follow the show if you're not. Follow the show this weekend during UFC 230. We'll be doing a live trivia giveaway. We have trivia every day, but we'll be doing a live trivia game during UFC 230 with a chance to win a cool prize. If you go to our Twitter this week, you will see that one of our boys, uh, Black and Tan on Twitter, received a autograph, Dan Henderson autograph from us, he tweeted it, we retweeted it, and he did that. 
for winning one of our giveaways. So follow the show at Top Turtle MMA. We're always giving away cool prizes. Gumby, before we get to the Combat Countdown, can you tell us if any fine company sponsors said Countdown? Yeah, this Combat Countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUguard.com. Check out their mouthguards because they're the only ones in the world that allow you to talk, breathe, and drink all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. So if you're doing jujitsu, you don't have to have one of those bulky ones in that allows you to not breathe when you're getting strangled anyway. So make sure that you've got a Sisu Mouthguard in. Check out their Max Guard. I highly suggest it. Once again, SISUguard.com. Check them out. All right, so in honor of the historic Ben Askren for Mighty Mouse Trade, we want to come up with a top five potential mutually beneficial trades other MMA organizations could do. We'll start with an honorable mention, though. This one kind of bit out of left field, but we really like it. How about Francis Naganu from the UFC, who's been on a bit of a skid, uh, once a mega prospect, uh, has kind of, you know, hit some bumps in the road. What if we sent him to the PFL for Ray Cooper the third? I love this trade, and I came up with it uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think that the the situation of PFL right now suits somebody like Naganu and would get him back on track. Remember, Naganu has fought safe uh, kind of since that that DC because he's been a little bit worried. He looked terrible in the Derek Lewis fight. But I think sending him to PFL, remember with their, their point structure, it encourages him to knock people out early. So you're going to see him go out there and look like a killer early again. It would put him on the right track. And plus it would lower the competition and sort of build his ego back up, which I think needs building back up. Um, all the while he can make an ass load of cash because I'm pretty sure he is, would win the million dollars in the heavyweight tournament the very first year he was there. So send him away for a year, let him come back, and he'd be a whole new fighter. And I like getting Ray Cooper in return. I was trying to think of who you could get for PFL, you know, Ray Cooper is not like a huge needle mover, but he did just knock out Jake Shields twice, um, and on top of that, he's only 25 years old, so he's kind of a fun guy that the UFC could have and maybe build something around him at 170, so uh, that one got honorable mention because maybe the return to the UFC is a little bit less than these other trades. All right, then we'll move to the actual list, and we'll start with number five. This is the only two-for-two trade on the list, so the rest will really be one-for-one, and then we have a two-for-one, but we'll get to that. So in a two-for-two trade, we thought about, you know, uh, who does Bellator really want for to promote, to have fighting on Spike TV on free TV? They want household names, and they don't care if they're past their peak. And are these guys going to be UFC champions again? Maybe. But probably not, but this would get the UFC prospects in return. So this is a UFC to Bellator trade. Robbie Lawler and Luke Rockhold from the UFC going to Bellator for Neiman Gracie and Ed Root. Yeah, I like this trade because I like Ed Ruth a lot, and I know you like Neiman Gracie a lot. Um, as Bellator prospects at 170, they're super exciting. Um, they both have like seemingly unli- uh, unlimited potential. Uh, it's kind of sad that they're fighting each other in the Grand Prix, but both of these two would be good for the UFC to have sort of some fresh blood at 170. And meanwhile, you're right about saying that Lawler and, and Rockhold seemingly a little bit past their prime. It doesn't feel like either of them will ever be champ again. Not that they're not going to put on exciting fights, um, but they, they I almost feel like they would make more out of their name being in Bellator, you know, like, sort of the way that, you know, like, Ryan Bader, not, not that Ryan Bader isn't a killer, you know, not like Ryan Bader isn't a top five guy in the UFC, but 
over there, his name seems to matter for more. So I, I feel like those two would do better over there, so it would be beneficial to them, it would be beneficial to Bellator, and in the meantime, the UFC gets some pretty decent prospects out of it. Yeah, and I like having the best fighters in the UFC. I like Bellator more for fun fights, and that's really all I want to see Lawler and Rockhold in at this point. Fun fights. Fun fights. I also get the sense that Rockhold and UFC have never really gotten along. I know he loves Scott Coker, so that's I think true. that makes sense. And just from a historical sense, I know there are a million Gracies, and they all haven't fought in the UFC, but there's something to me. Neiman Gracie seems to be legit. He seems to be a potential Gracie champion again, and we haven't had one of those in a long time. I like the idea of a good Gracie fighting in the UFC because, you know, Hoist Gracie is, is started it all. He's the Babe Ruth of the UFC, so I like a Gracie fighting in the UFC. I love that trade. We'll move, though, to number four. This one makes a lot of sense. It's going to be the first uh, risen UFC trade on the list. It would be uh, Alistair Overeem going from the UFC to risen for Kyoji Haraguchi. Yeah, I like this trade because Overeem, uh, again, one of those guys probably never going to win a title, especially now that DC uh, is roaming the division there, and he's already lost to Stipe, too. He's going to be a top-five guy. He's going to knock off guys on the way up. Or he could go over to Risen and have just some absolutely freak show fights. He could fight uh, Cop again. Uh, he could fight in some crazy Grand Prix where he's going to fight a couple of times in a night. Um, all of that kind of stuff, like, screams over him, right? He would be a huge star over there rather than being, like, a mediocre star in the United States. And for a trade in return, I like getting Koji Oraguchi back. I never wanted to see him leave. He, it feels like now he would be an absolute stud in either the 25 or 35 division, especially with Mighty Mouse gone. Um, so, you know, like, th there's a lot of opportunity for Horiguchi to sort of be, like, the next Asian star over in the UFC, whereas, like, he's just seemingly, like, another, th you know, like, they have a lot of fun 25ers and 35ers over there, so, like, he's just kind of, like, another 25 or 35er over there, whereas over here, he would be, like, a commodity, very well said. The Gooch. We love the Gooch. All right. We'll move then to number three, and this would be the first UFC to Cage Warriors trade, and I think this one makes a lot of sense. Don't just scoff at it when you hear the first name, people. Artem Lobov going from the UFC to Cage Warriors for Patty Pimblett. Yeah, so the GOAT is leaving the UFC. Uh yeah, I, I, I like this trade because a lot of people have been all over the idea that Artem Lobov doesn't belong in the UFC and have been really hating on him. And I think for that reason, he almost gets sort of like a bad rap in the UFC. He does have exciting fights, right? Like, I'm not crazy in saying, like, while some of his fights have been really shitty, some have been really exciting. And I think if you matched him with the right people over in Cage Warriors, not only would he be more successful, but you would see more of that exciting side, too. Um, and being closer to home, having fights closer to, you know, Russia slash Ireland all the time makes him a much more sellable fighter. And I think Paddy Pimblett just sells fucking anywhere. Uh, even though he's not like a killer all the time in the cage. I mean, that part where he puked in the cage because he had hot chocolate before the fight. I mean, dude, imagine him and Derek Lewis doing back to back post fight interviews with one puking hot chocolate in the cage and the other taking their pants off. <laughs> yeah, Patty Pimblett, I think, would be a UFC darling when it comes to their mm -hmm. marketing and promotions department. Um, and I also feel like Artem Lobov, you're right, he hasn't had bad fights, per se. I mean, obviously the Ryan Hall fight was horrific, but Ryan Hall gives people fits. They don't know how to deal with them. Uh, you know, the Cub Swanson fight wasn't 
awful to my memory, if my memory serves I thought it was right. fun. Like, I thought it was fun as yeah, hell. It was, it was more or less a fun fight. So against lesser competition, some of those performances, you're right, maybe they turn into uh, into actual knockouts for him. He does have like a swing for the fences style, and mm-hmm. that's never a bad thing. We'll move then to our first guy-for-girl fight uh, trade, and it's another UFC to Bellator trade. This one is very interesting. Chris Cyborg goes to Bellator in return for uh, the Eagles' prey, Dylan Dennis. Yeah, this one's a no-brainer to me because, first of all, the UFC can all they want to pretend that they have an 145-pound women's division. They don't have a 145-pound women's division. Uh, you know, they, they're trying to do this ultimate fighter to stack the division again. Most of the women on the ultimate fighter for that 145 pounds, have fought at 135 pounds mostly recently. Some have fought in the UFC at 135 pounds, which is just silly. So, like, they don't have an 145-pound division. They need to stop pretending they do. Bellator mostly does. Bellator's got a couple of fucking really good 145-pounders. Have Cyborg go over and fight over there. Um, And I know the UFC is getting... Uh, pay-per-view buys off of Cyborg, like she's turning into one of the pay-per-view commodities. But I also think, like, raised the right way, Dylan Danis also does the same thing. Maybe not to the level of Chris Cyborg. Maybe it takes a lot of work to get there. But I think, you know, if you're going to trade away Artem Lobov away, you're going to have to give Conor McGregor something in return. So why not bring Dylan Danis back to the table? You know, I really think of UFC as a modern-day wrestling promotion and the whole end of UFC 229 was like something straight out of a 1980s WWF uh, angle to end a show in chaos. And I was absolutely shocked. And I know that maybe the UFC doesn't overproduce their announcers like some other sports organizations or a wrestling organization might, but I was absolutely shocked. And obviously it was in you know the heat of the moment. John Anik said, oh my God, Khabib Nurmagomedov is going after Dylan Danis. And what shocked me about that is that the UFC gave free publicity to Dylan Danis's name. Dylan Danis's name was on SportsCenter later that mm-hmm. night. When I got into my job the next day, someone said, yeah, he went after Dylan Danis. And I said to myself, this is fucking incredible. Dylan Danis is a 1-0 MMA fighter. Yeah. He's a jiu-jitsu champion. And he's now, like, a household name because of what happened there. I mean, for the UFC to really get, like, some equity and ROI in the whole debacle of UFC 229, Dennis should come to the UFC. He's near a household name now because of that incident. Mm-hmm. And obviously just makes sense because he's Connor's boy. Uh, so I love that trade. And let's face it, the UFC does not have a 145-pound women's division, as you said. All right, this brings us to number one. And I really like this trade as well. This one's a two-for-one. It's the Diaz brothers from the UFC. Two-for-one here. You get both Diaz brothers, but Scott Coker and Bellator are bringing home our boy, and they're sending Rory McDonald back to the UFC. Yeah, I think this is perfect for a couple of reasons. Number one, what does Bellator sell really well? Guys who run their fucking mouths. Uh, I mean, they sold Fedor... Well, I mean, Fedor doesn't run his mouth, but Fedor has got the face that automatically sells. Um, they sell Shale Sonnen. They, they sell, uh, you know, Phil Davis. They sell people who can get on the mic and talk a little bit. 
the Diaz brothers are perfect for that, and Rory McDonald will never be that. You can stick that uh, turtleneck sweater right next to a microphone. That doesn't mean he's talking into it. Um, and, and I just think that, like, if you brought the Diaz brothers over there, too, they, they not only sell really well, but I also think that, like, Bellator has things that they do, like fan fests, autograph signings, appearances, and stuff like that, where you could continue to pay the Diaz brothers with letting them fight once every two, three, four years, whatever the fuck they're doing now, and they could still make money and enjoy being over there as, like, spokespersons for MMA. And meanwhile, we get to see Rory McDonald fight Tyrone Woodley. We get to see Rory McDonald fight fucking Colby Covington, Ben Askren, all kinds of other fun people. So we benefit as fans to see Rory McDonald fight the best, and Bellator gets to sell, you know, a couple of guys who don't like fighting all that often. That's exactly right. And they don't really like fighting in the UFC almost as like a sociological experiment. I want to see if they stop complaining while working for a different promoter. Uh, I, I, you know, Nick Diaz has worked with Scott Coker in the past. I think he likes them. So I think that works for all parties. And Nate Diaz is a huge name off of that Connor fight. But again, he hasn't fought in over two years. So I don't really think UFC takes a massive hit not recouping any investment in that. And you get Rory McDonald, who's still really in the prime of his career, still one of the best, you know, top three 170-pounders in the game. And he already holds a win over Tyron Woodley. I really want to see that rematch. Mm-hmm. I think Woodley is better than when they first met. I want to see Woodley versus Rory McDonald again. Likewise. So that gets it done. All right. I hope you enjoyed this uh, combat countdown. If you liked our list, Hit us up uh, on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. If you hated our list, let us know that, too, at TopTurtleMMA. We're accepting both love and hate feedback currently. We're always throwing out combat countdown ideas, and we love to get the fans' interaction on it. So keep an eye on the Twitter feed, at TopTurtleMMA, for our future combat countdowns and giveaways. We'll move now to our UFC 230 breakdown, headlined by DC versus Derek Lewis. Gumby, does any fine company... Bring the fans this UFC 230 breakdown. This UFC 230 breakdown is brought to you by BJJ Tea Club. These guys are changing the way you get your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu t-shirts. Sick of trying to find them at sites at a reasonable price? Hate those websites that only sell one item a day and you got to keep checking back and back and back to make sure you get something nice? BJJ Tea Club is going to help you avoid all that by delivering you a high-quality t-shirt with a unique Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu graphic on it each and every month right to your front door. And they're so easy to deal with because there's no contracts and their customer service is top-notch. See what I mean? And get your very first t-shirt for just $5 off by going to BJJ Tea Club. That's at BJJTEEClub.com. When you use promo code FLOW, F-L-O, you're going to get that 5 bucks off. So, for our UFC 230 breakdown, uh, I got three picks for you guys today. We're going to focus mostly on the main card. First pick is I'm taking Daniel Cormier over Derek Lewis. I don't think this is a surprise to anybody out here, but uh, Daniel Cormier here, huge, huge favorite. Betting off at like negative 600 on some sites. Uh, but the reason he's betting off as such a favorite here is because the window of opportunity for Derek Lewis is just so small. He's going to have to land a big knockout, and you can get him at plus 550 uh underdog, but I just don't see any value in it. The second pick I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the underdog, Jacare Souza at plus 150 against Chris Weidman at negative 170. Look, I think Jacare has got the stand-up game to hang with Chris Weidman, and I don't think Weidman wants to go to the ground with him being as deadly as he is. So I'm going to take Jacare on this one. And then lastly, I'm going to take Israel Adesanya betting off at negative 320 against Derek Brunson at plus 160. 
Uh, I, I just think that Israel Adesanya has got more weapons that's going to make it difficult for Derek Brunson. I also think Derek Brunson comes out very reckless, and I think the one thing that Israel Adesanya is really good at is staying composed and focused during his fight. So I'm going to take Israel Adesanya. So quickly to recap, we got Daniel Cormier over Derek Lewis. We got Jacare Sozo over Chris Weidman, uh, and we got Israel Adesanya over Derek Brunson. This, again, was another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. And I want to first thank all of our sponsors, ADK Fightwear, BJJ T-Club, Sisu Mouthguards, and, of course, Sheath Underwear. Uh, I'd like to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. And, of course, I'd like to thank my co-host here, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. If you enjoyed what you uh, heard today, or maybe if you hated what you heard today, you can head on over to our Twitter account, at TopTurtleMMA on Twitter, and tell us exactly how you feel. Um, and before we let you go here, we got one more special interview. We're going to send you off into the distance into next week with an interview with an upcoming fighter on a Flow Combat card this weekend. If you're checking out Cage Titans 41 live from Plymouth, Massachusetts this weekend, you're going to catch out a, uh, a fight with Slippery Pete Barrett. So this interview with Slippery Pete Barrett is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. So check them out, sheathunderwear.com. Uh, enjoy this interview, and we will catch you next week. This is Daniel Gumby Reeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. Today we have the pleasure of speaking to Slippery Pete Barrett, who fights Keegan Hornstra at Cage Titans 41 this Saturday, live only on Flow Combat. So, Pete, I know uh, you said right before this interview you came um, from guided meditation. Is, is that something you do specifically in fight camp, or is that like a all-year-round thing? Um. So I recently got connected with this facility uh, called the Zen Den. Uh, they're local on the South Shore, and one of the owners um, is is very gifted in, in many ways. Um, part one of them being to a level of clairvoyance. And uh, the last few fights, last few camps, I've had the opportunity to work in a, a sitting with her, um, kind of fight week to get me prepared, to tap me into you know my eternal soul and. And, and reconnect with the fire that burns inside of me. Well, that, that's certainly awesome. And, and you feel, uh, you know, in the when it comes time for the fight camp, do you feel just more clear, or do you feel, um, you know, like does your body feel better? What what's the the benefit that you felt with these guys? Um, with, specifically to the to the guided meditations, it definitely helps align me uh, mentally and to 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 help visualize and, and manifest the the outcomes that I'm looking for. Uh, and it just it gives me a peace of mind to know that I'm doing you know my soul's work with what's really written on my soul what I feel like I have a calling to and, and now to have a third party that doesn't that didn't have much experience with me prior to anything to be able to see that feel that and, and convey that to me in a different light. That that's that's awesome. And you've how long have you been doing that for your fight camps? You said a couple of fights. Yeah, I think this was—I think this was actually just the third time I've, I've sat with a guy for a guided meditation with her. Awesome, awesome. So that, that's definitely a, a new piece to your your game. Um, it'll be exciting to see how it pays off. Now, before we get to talking about how it's going to pay off in this upcoming fight, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this fight you had scheduled with Bellator. Obviously, you had a, a fight scheduled with Bellator in October, uh, canceled due to a failed drug test of your opponent. How far into camp were you for that, and sort of what was the frustration level as a result of that? So it, it happened pretty. I mean, contracts were signed, tickets were sent out, we were moving forward, and then, lo and behold, I got a text one 
must have been a Monday or a Wednesday night, like after, like almost a week after everything was set in stone that uh, the Mohegan Sun Athletic Commission decided to test him and that he had failed um, and had the presence of banned substances, performance-enhancing substances in his system. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of frustration, and, and, and but not so much surprise. I mean, if, if, you, if you look this kid up on his topology, he kind of looks the part, mm-hmm. you know. And it's always been speculated about him. I've had teammates fight him. I know people that have fought him, and it's been a heavy speculation that he was on some kind of sauce. And uh, just to see it come come to the surface, albeit with my fight, just kind of, you know, made the other guys feel a little bit better, kind of pissed me off. But, you know, we were preparing to fight a juice head. And let's just say that. Like, we knew he was strong. We knew he was going to be powerful out the gate. And we knew he was going to, uh, let's be a little more politically correct, we knew he <laughs> was going to lose his juice after a couple minutes of trying to go hard. Gotcha. And, and so, you know, obviously you said in there frustration level, but you also said some, like, validation on, on behalf of your teammates. Do, do you do you somehow wish that the fight went through and you just fought him as he was? Yeah, I mean, I took the fight knowing on some level that this kid was on the sauce and he was taking performance-enhancing substances to better his outcomes. And I wasn't afraid of that. I knew that. I knew there, there was going to be an early storm that I would have to weather and then I would get him, you know, late in the first round, definitely in the second or third. Hmm. Interesting. So I also want to note, too, that, that you were headed down to 145 pounds for that fight. Uh, you know, obviously you were in the early stages of the fight camp when they called it, but were you dieting pretty heavily to get down to that? What was it going to take for you to get to 45? Um, so it, that, would, that would not have been my first time down to 145, but definitely the most recent time. And... Uh, you know, I've worked with some of the best nutritionists in the fight game. I've worked with perfecting athletes a few times. And, you know, they do a really good job educating you, not just telling you what to do. So I was prepared to make the drop to 145, no sweat. Uh, well, not literally no sweat. There's <laughs> a little bit of sweat in there at the end. But, uh, you know, I, I have my methods down to a matter of a craft, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I know what my body needs. I know how I need to fuel myself to still have the energy yet drop that weight yeah so and you're gonna you're not gonna quite cut down that much for this upcoming fight at cage Titans. i saw that this fight is technically at 160 pounds why back up to 100 you know 55 in the first place and why that extra five pounds for 160 that was that was um to make sure i got the fight really mm-hmm. um i knew I'm, I'm fairly close with the promoter uh of cage titans and you know, I was just shooting the breeze with him one day about the card because, you know, I had been in his ear since that, since uh, my original opponent tested positive. Like, hey, keep me in mind. I don't know if Bellator is going to rematch me, if they're going to cancel the fight. You know, they said they were going to find someone, but they, they weren't really holding up their end of the bargain by finding prospects, you know. Mm-hmm. we I think we went a whole month texting the matchmaker and didn't get a response. Mm-hmm. So... When I had been, you know, going over his card with him, he was saying, oh, you know, we we got this guy for that guy. This guy said no. We got this guy for that guy. That guy said no. We tried to bring in this girl for her. 
and you know, as we were talking, I said, "Hold on, this guy, this guy Keegan w- was ready to fight so and so, and it didn't work out." He said, "Yeah, no, I go call him and see if he'll fight me. Hmm. I'll fight him at any weight. I don't care what weight it's at. I want to fight." Hmm. And uh, you know, that's the benefit of fighting. You know, a journeyman. You know, he, he's a tough guy. He's been around, but you, you know what you're getting into, and. I was I was comp- I would have fought him at 185 pounds walking mm-hmm. in at 165. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I'm just confident in in this fight in the outcome and and it's it's gonna be a fun fight. I'm gonna be able to get in there, you know, get the good looks that I'm looking for, show some of the stuff that I've been working on, and and kind of get back to more of my what I really want to do is get back to my roots of of, of kind of being a bully, getting in there, handling business mm-hmm. in and out, first round, nice and quick. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. Now, obviously, you mentioned that you know you you're close with the the guy who does some of the booking for for Cage Titans, and Cage Titans has been you know a, a sort of a fun organization, especially for Flow Combat to work out. Um, but like, how has your experience been with Cage Titans, being that you fought for him a couple of times? You know, apart from obviously the the good dealings with the matchmaker there. So, to be honest, I've I've fought for this will be my thirteenth pro fight. And I had seven amateur MMA fights, so this will be coming up on my 20th fight, and I've only had two fights outside of the <laughs> so, so, so obviously there's yeah. something that gets you going back. What gets you going back? Yeah, I mean, he, he does business well. There's never any you know question about who's getting paid what, when you're getting paid, how you're getting paid. But checks have never bounced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a man of his word. You know, if he shakes your hand and tells you one thing, you might as well have a written contract because that's the type of guy he is. And uh, he treats fighters right. I mean, he was a, a former fighter himself, saw how shitty. I hope that's all right. I'd say yeah, oh, it's fucking fine. Sorry, <laughs> perfect. Much better. So he, he fought, you know, after college, realized how shitty the fight game was, how scummy these promoters were, and said, I can do a better job than these guys, and I'm going to. And Cage Titans was founded, and I think now we're on like Cage Titans 30, maybe mm-hmm. or higher. I'm not really sure, but um, you know, he got into the game because he saw the weaknesses of what was already out there. So he just he runs a good, clean show, straightforward. You know, there's no questions, there's no hidden gimmicks. You don't have to chase him for anything. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're, we're certainly looking forward to seeing it on flowcombat.com. Remember, you guys can check it out there. Uh, you know, before I, I sort of get to the end of this interview, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity, and you mentioned a little bit before, to tell people who haven't seen you fight before, what what's something that people should know about your style or what they're going to get this upcoming Saturday? Oh, I'm coming out like a bat out of hell. I mean, uh, I, I would say up until about like my, my eight or ninth I would say I'm hiring up like my first six or seven fights were all first round finishes, TKO, KO, submissions, and I started getting involved with the boxing and, and, and working on those things and trying to apply them to my fights before I had mastered them in the room and coming to that realization, having some conversations with friends, fans, and family, you know, getting back to, to what made me me is what I really need to do in this fight, and that's just get out there, handle business. You know, remind people that I have one of the hardest left hands in the Northeast, and you know, hopefully, I'll be able to show that I have one of the hardest left hands in the nation. You know, that mm-hmm. that's the goal, that's the game plan to get to that next level and start making some noise and 
and turning some heads. So, you know, if this is like a reawakening for me, then I, I'll be more than more than happy to to show everyone how hard I hit and how fast I can drop people. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Now, before we let you go, uh, I want to give you a chance to give a shout out to any sponsors you have before we move on. Let people know how to follow you on uh, social media. Yeah, so big shout out to Sheath Underwear. Um, Robert Patton has been in my corner, in my camp, helping me out. Um, maybe up to like almost four years at this point. We got connected through another fighter that he was dealing with, and we just kind of hit it off from the get go. We're, we're similarly like minded people. Um, hold certain beliefs true to our hearts um, and we just really hit it off and we've had a great relationship and he's never afraid to, 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 to help fighters out to make sure they've got the things covered that they need whether that be you know financial commitments to make sure you can get your trainers paid to get your coaches paid to get the private lessons in to make sure you're eating right to sending out you know his gear is amazing I mean I I've amassed so much, not so much, but enough sheath stuff where, you know, I'm, I'm giving it as gifts to coaches, to trainers, to training partners, and they all rave about it. They want more. They want to know where they can get it, how they can get it. And it's just, uh, she's been a pivotal, a pivotal, uh, member of, of my team and, and just grateful to have them. Um, also want to shout out to Top Game Management, um, Tyson Chartier. He's, he's, he's been, a, he's been great behind the scenes working with, um, you know the Bellator issue to Cage Titans to organizing trips out to the UFCPI. You know any and all above. You know he's great in that respect. He's got a lot of the the guys coming up uh, in the UFC out of the Northeast right now, and he doesn't just you know take advantage of that situation with them, but he uses those guys also to leverage opportunities for other up and coming guys to get them the experience, to get them the training, to get them the looks that they need. So. Uh, big shout out to Top Game, and then you know as we're sitting here, I'm, I'm nibbling on my food from Primed and Ready, um, from Primed and Ready meals, and he's been a, always been a huge help. You know, making sure my diet and my nutrition is on point. He only sources organic stuff, organic produce, and you know, clean, humanely raised meats and protein. So big shout out to them. And let's see anybody else. Of course, Sityaton uh, been a you know, that's my home base, my number one camp, and then all my coaches, training partners. Um, yeah, I think I covered most of the bases there. Zenden, like we talked about in the beginning, they got pretty big plug in the beginning. So uh, Zenden, again, you know, one of the owners is huge fight fans, always reaching out to fighters in the community to help them with, with the services that they offer out of this facility. Awesome. And be sure to follow uh, P himself at Slippery Pete's World on Twitter. Uh, he's got a good Twitter feed going on there. Once again, Pete Barrett fights Keegan Hornstra at Cage Titans 41 this Saturday live on Flow Combat. Pete, we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.